Hello, Chris here with another installment of the Make It podcast. And before we get to today's guest, we want to thank everyone that has supported this podcast, this passion project of ours uh, this year. If you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and and rate. And if you have time, review our podcast. Um, It makes a huge difference because it allows new listeners to find our podcast more easily. if you know anything about how uh, social media and applications use algorithms to to sort of shift and put sort of the most um, relevant things in front of you based on your habits, that sort of thing, that's what this is all about. So by rating um, and, and hopefully reviewing and even subscribing, you're really helping us out because it allows other people to find the podcast based on Apple's own algorithms. So I hope that wasn't too wordy or anything, but that's kind of the situation, right? Um, also, if, if you find the podcast valuable, entertaining, uh, be sure to tell a friend uh, now or in 2019, um, because we know that podcasts grow by word of mouth. And, um, you know, as we grow, we can build more and more value into the podcast. So that's the idea. That's the goal for 2019. And uh, hey, what a year it's been in 2018. And and with you guys together, we can make 2019 even better. So we're really excited about that. And now on to today's guest, actor Joshua Bermudez. I had a great time, and I hope he did too, uh, in this conversation. And I think that comes through and it's just the perfect conversation in terms of value, inspiration, uh, especially an inspiration and an education to end uh, our year on. So I, I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Uh, Joshua is a actor living in Los Angeles, California. And uh, check out some of these accomplishments. He's the first member of his family to attend college. He received his master's degree from the Yale School of Drama in 2013. Uh, He has served as a guest educator at universities and conferences in New York, New Haven, Chicago, and Los Angeles. His film credits include Cargo, Off Prospect, and The Runners, and he's been in over 30 stage productions. Joshua is also the program director for the HBMG National Winter Actors Retreat. It's this great retreat that happens in Colorado, in the hills. It's amazing. Anybody that wants to go to that, you need to rush to find Joshua, rush to the website, get your tickets now because uh, it may uh, be up against a deadline, but but you're going to want to do this. This is a career changing event. Um, Joshua also is the founder of Wolf and Long. And so he's just doing a ton of things. So here's my ask of everyone that's listening. If after listening to today's episode, you want to attend the National Winter Actors Retreat, Reach out to Joshua on social media and let him know your bonsai creative. And you may be able to submit a late application. And like I said before, you don't want to miss the retreat. It is career changing. And we'll have all of Josh's social media and contact information and the website uh, in the episode and at the end of the episode in the conversation like we normally do. So without further ado, I give you a man that can floor you with inspiration or with a right hook. Actor Joshua Bermudez. (laughs) 
You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. My name is Joshua Bermudez. I am an actor. Um, you can see me in some films, most recently the Beer Fest Thirst for Victory on CWC, which was a lot of fun. Um, I'm currently in pre-production for the Nightingale short film. Um, I have a live stream coming up this coming year in 2019 called My Favorite Bottle. And I'm the program director of the National Winter Actors Retreat, which launches a pilot program in January. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Joshua, for that. And uh, I'm really pumped to be doing this interview. Um, it's it's this strange thing. And, and I have this connection with certain people. I certainly have it with you where I actually haven't met you in person, but I feel like I know you really well or that we have a lot in common. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you, man. Yeah, it's 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 there's there's a couple of commonalities. Um, you know, we're, we both come from a background of athletics. Uh, we both come from families who didn't do much college before us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both are people of mixed race, and um, I think the combination. And obviously, we both love our creativity and entrepreneurship, and so I think between those factors, it's very easy to just kind of feel like you're in the room with the person you're actually not in the room with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You, you talk about that and it's like, you start to see these commonalities with people and you get this sense that there's sort of like, we all have our, you know, our challenges we face are things that work in our favor, but there are certain things that, that feel like they connect us. And it's interesting how quickly you find that those sort of, um, like that connective tissue between people and their artistry and, and their backgrounds and, and how much it makes them feel almost like kindreds. It makes you feel good that somebody else is doing it the same way you did, you know, somewhere across the nation someplace. Yeah, it, it's true. And I've, I've talked about this before where I, I've even gone as far as to Google my own name. I, I say that <laughs> shamefully, but, but, I, but the funny thing is, is I'm really not looking for anything to stroke my ego. I'm actually looking for the opposite uh, I do that sometimes just to um, see if someone else out there with my exact name is 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 accomplishing more than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, because you want to know. I mean, for me, it's a pretty like my last name is not super common. And there are a couple guys who, who have similar names. So there's an artist out there someplace. But there's another guy who's like a um, it's cool to see what people kind of end up doing there's another guy who's like a really good realtor i think he is and in, in like uh <laughs> it's like missouri and i'm just like yeah man do you like that's great but we should start like an association or just i don't know what I'm you're sure saying is that you do this too <laughs> yeah i of course i do of course i do i actually like, was in my research for this interview i i saw that there was a a really good youtuber named joshua bermudez he has a ton of mm-hmm. videos and yeah. uh not you but, no, he's, uh, blow, he's blowing up my spot on YouTube. I can't, yeah. <laughs> I can't catch him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you you will you will so i i want to go back to uh we we talked about your background a little bit and um i want to go back to uh, the start for you, where you first got the inspiration to get into this industry, get into this field. Was there a moment uh, in your childhood um, that 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 you can remember that w- where you would say to yourself, okay, that was the definitive moment. That was the moment that I said, yeah, I want to do this as a career. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. I, when I was a kid, I was very into storytelling. Um, so like I, I, you know, comic books and all that, I actually have to, you know, Stan Lee was one of my biggest inspirations. Um, mm-hmm. one of my, one of the, the most amazing things that I ever got to do was meet him and it was brief and he was amazing. And, um, you know, uh, obviously rest in peace to that legend guy, but he was, he was amazing, but I, I, I was just, it wasn't just, that he was a storyteller. It was that he, he embodied this sort of storytelling persona, um, where he was, he just really loved what he did and loved kind of creating these worlds and, and, and giving them to people. And, uh, so I was always into like plays and art and all that stuff. But then, um, when I, when, you know, puberty is like a, like Russian roulette, it just kind of hits you and it's random. (laughs) And I went from being kind of this like little kid who liked art to this big guy. And, um, you know, naturally where I grew up, football was a big thing. So that became my, my go-to sport and weightlifting and all that. And where, I started, where to, did you grow up? Um, so part of the time in Philadelphia, but the main part was in Florida mm-hmm. and the parts of Florida I grew up were big on football. Mm-hmm. So, um, that became sort of the way I expressed myself, that my performance was on the field. And, uh, it was good because it felt like, to me, artistry and, and what I was doing was subjective and didn't necessarily feel like it ever had an impact because it was very much my own little thing. But when I played, it felt, you know, there's an obvious concrete result to the work you put in. Um, so ironically, what ended up happening was once I figured out, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to make a career out of this football thing. I'm not going to make a career out of this athletic thing. I was kind of like a little bit listless and, uh, the acting teacher, or the musical theater teacher, she taught acting too. Um, she saw me hanging out with some friends. She liked my hair, ironically, which is no longer <laughs> something I sport because I used to have sort of a long, you know, curly um, mane. And she said, do you sing? And, you know, when I was a kid, I sang chorus. I said, I used to. She was like, I want you to be, uh, she's, what did she say exactly? She said, I want you to be in this room 8 a.m. on Monday. And I want, I want to hear you sing. I'm like, all right. You know, didn't have anything else to do. And that kind of led me to become a performer. Um, she she sort of mentored me through the musical process, taught me how to sight read, taught me how to really um, infuse those musical performances with something beyond just, you know, the singing of the notes, the technical aspect, and really kind of taught me how to fall in love with that work and the performative aspect of that work and how and how much crossover there really was with the athletics and the challenge that I faced in that. So, um, she was, you know, she, she kind of led me down that path. And then, you know, later on through college, I worked on it and then I ended up going to grad school for acting. So that was where the the little bug hit me though. I am curious. Do you remember what song that you picked? I mean, that had to be pretty nerve wracking to have to go in and say, okay, she wants me to come back and sing a song. Yeah. What was it? She, um, she handed me some, some music and just had me kind of you know, sing, I can't remember what that was, but I remember my, my mother 
like all moms, was very into Josh Groban at the time. <laughs> so she was like, you should sing this. She, she kind of pushed me. She was like, sing this song. It was some um, very kind of, you know, orchestral, ornate uh, thing. It's, I think it's called You Raise Me. Anyway, so I sang that song. And she was like, oh, okay, you got a voice. And I was like, okay, cool. I didn't know. <laughs> so um, I think it was a Josh Groban song out of all songs that ended up starting my acting career if we're going to be honest <laughs> that's, that's awesome yeah that's fantastic okay so yeah so you you had that moment and you transitioned at that moment out of sports or you continued to to play football no i actually transitioned out of that um after that i kind of i i scratched that itch with boxing and mma for a while Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that for a little bit. I wrestled for a little bit, played a little rugby. I mean, just like here and there, but I never really got back into like an athletic league again. It was mostly independent stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, I was, I did some, a little bit of martial arts when I was a kid. So that ended up kind of becoming the thing that, you know, kept me in shape and everything. And, um, I, I, I tried boxing for a little bit, but I'm, I can't get hit in the face. It just bugs me too much. So I was like, this is probably not <laughs> something right. I want to stick with too much. Um, so yeah, so that, so that kind of became the independent athletics became my outlet as far as that went. But by the time I got to grad school and I started working with some of these instructors, like, uh, you know, Faye Simpson, Walton Wilson, some of these people, I, the athletic stuff was there. They, they really kind of showed me that the, the cross section between like athleticism and artistry um, and taught me taught me how to embrace like rather than making them, you know, sort of categorically different or, or in, in different sort of columns. They were like, no, there's a Venn diagram of these things. And you're the kind of actor that's going to really move forward in that in, in that lane. So you might as well do it, you know, and that was really good for me. Um, it really, it really kind of became a synthesis of everything I had done before and was going to do from there. Yeah. I think it's really difficult to look at you on, on film without noticing your physicality, without noticing, um, sort of your demeanor, uh, on screen and how you come off to the camera and how you sort of pop on camera. The way I look at you, I feel like you almost have the stoicism of a, of a Vin Diesel, combined with sort of the charisma and, and, and honesty in your acting and sort of composure of, of uh, Oscar Isaac. Um, there's, there's that, there's that, there's that mix in there um, where it feels really different and, and cool. And yeah. um, I know that, that, that you did box for a little while and um, was that just a thing to, to try to stay fit Um as you were performing, because, because here's the thing, and this is completely aside, by the way, I watched Creed two and and I was, you know, I always watch to, for entertainment and then watch for notes a little bit as well. But I was, I was looking at like some of the training stuff and they were in, like, you don't knock out your sparring partner. Like that's not a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Am I right about that? Like, I don't know shit about real boxing. Like I, I watch it as a fan, but. Yeah. I mean, and like, the thing I love about the Rocky movies in general is it's not, you know, like I, I love the, I love the Creed movies. Um, obviously having family in Philly, there's a little bit of a special place in my heart for that. Um, though I do think we need a, a actual statue of Joe Frazier in Philly cause he was a real boxer and <laughs> not just Rocky himself. But, um, 
it's not real boxing, you know, it's, it's, but the thing is when you do something for the camera, it's always elevated. There's always that aspect of like larger than life, um, exploded action to it. So whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, you get that, but yeah, you don't knock out, you generally shouldn't anyway, knock out your sparring partner. You know, when you watch like Rocky movies, it's almost like, um, it's almost like street fighting in the ring. Like real boxing is a lot more controlled and tight, but it's not a cinematic. So you really want to go with the thing that's more fun to watch. Um, Got it. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I did get, you know, you get, you can get pretty tuned up, you know, if you, if you're sparring with somebody and especially if they're a little bit better than you, or if they're, they're on their way to, to prep for something, they're, they're going to come in with a little bit of a different energy than you are just trying to stay fit. So yeah, it, it can, it can hurt, but it's never, it, it shouldn't anyway ever put you, you know, you shouldn't end up on your back at any point. That would be a weird sparring match to be in. All right, be your last sparring match. I'm, I'm yeah. curious uh, yeah. in your opinion as a, as both a performer, uh, you know, an actor and uh, an athlete, a boxer, who gets boxing more right? Uh, the Creed movies or Ray Donovan? Oh, see, so this is this is bad. I haven't seen Ray Donovan. Oh, I know. But I will say this. I will say um, Leah Shriver, I've met in real life and he is a big guy. I mean, you meet guys who are, are you know, sizable guys, but he has a big presence, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, if I if I had to be in the ring with somebody. I'd probably pick Michael B. Jordan because he seems like <laughs> he seems like he's gonna, you know, maybe afterwards you go get a drink, you'd be like, ah, you know, whatever, you joke around, you roast each other a little bit. I don't know if I do it with Shriver. I feel like I feel like that's a good way to end up on your back. I feel like yeah. you know, he, he seems like more of a Tyson to me. <laughs> yeah. We need to live Shriver and uh Jason Statham movie. Oh that my gosh, that's a lot intense. of intensity. Yeah. yeah. We we should go there and uh yeah, maybe make a website or something. <laughs> yeah. Start a GoFundMe page for a, a, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so oh, you're man. the you're the first person in your family to make it to college, but you didn't just make it to college; you made it to Yale. Um, yeah. who, who, who was who was encouraging you? How did you? Because a lot of kids, and 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 I have a background in, in working with underprivileged kids and doing mm. things for the community, and I grew up really poor and, and, and sort of. Um, um, well, you know, I'd say I grew up lower middle class and I knew other kids that were poorer than me. And a lot of times it becomes a pattern, right? right. Poor begets poor. Uneducated yeah. begets uneducated. Um, I grew up in one of those typical neighborhoods where if you went and got a college degree and came home, you know, one of the elder dudes would might, you know, might just tell you, yeah, but you can't whoop my ass. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, stuff like that. So, so how did you get out of that? Like, was like, who was supporting you? How did you become this person who could be the first person in your family to go to college and not just go to college, but go to Yale? You know, I have to give credit to my mom for, I mean, she taught me how to fight. She taught me how to be a fighter, you know, not in, you know, obviously, but in spirit, because that's how, she, that's how she lived her life. Um, you know, she came from very little, you know, uh, a background that, you know, modest would be an understatement. And um, she never gave up on, A, making sure that I knew that there was a bigger life out there and that I would never set my sights low. Um, but B, also that I would never, even if you didn't have much, you could still enjoy life. You know, she was the kind of person who could create 
you know, I always think of her, there's this Tupac song, and he says, you know, Mama made miracles every Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And she, I mean, that was her. She could she could take, it was like, it was like Jesus and the loaves. She would just make these, these feasts. And, um, she would do that so that we could talk about how grateful we were for the things that we had. Never, she never set her sights on what we didn't have. Um, but she also made me, uh, understand that, you know, she talked about college, like it was a given. She talked Mm -hmm. about school and education. She just, she, and I, and not coming from that background, she just said, this is what you're going to do. This is, this is a given. This is something that's important. Um, and I, and I thank, thank her every day. I actually had the opportunity to take her out recently and talk to her about that and thank her. Even when I would come back home, you know, I I would maybe not feel so sure about school or, you know, and she would say, no, go, whatever you're going to do. I want you to go. I want you to go out, live your dream. And, and, um, she encouraged me so much all the way through. So I have to, a hundred percent of the credit really goes to her. Um, just in terms of, uh, and, and getting into Yale, you know, uh, it's funny. I, I, I owe it to, I owe so much of my life to the strong women in my life. It starts with my mom, but, um, I met the person who would become my wife right before I got into grad school. And she encouraged me to go to grad school, um, along with my acting mentor at the time, which I thought, okay, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll try this out see what happens, you know? In my mind, I thought, okay, I could I could apply for some of the bigger places to sort of get some practice auditioning, see how it feels. And when I got a call back for Yale, it almost was surreal. I just thought, okay, um, I don't know how that happened, but I'll just do what I did before because that worked. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, but but there was a part of me too, even then, that thought, man, this is going to blow her mind when she finds out, you know, even, mm-hmm. even just, even just to get that far, like this is going to blow her mind. And it feels good to be able to think about those achievements in terms of us as, as opposed in terms of me, that always helps me out. You know, it's, it's, I think about my wife, I think about my mom, I think about mentors and people who help me or people who look up to me. And it's like, that's why that gives you a lot more gas to get through the hard times than just thinking about, you know, what am I going to achieve? What, what can I do? So it, but she really started that for me. That's really great. Thank you for, for sharing that. It's, there is a, there seems to be two camps, uh, with, with, uh, equal numbers on each side, um, Mm -hmm. about when you're a a writer, when you're an actor, what is the benefit or of going to school for that? And and should you just go and jump right into your career and for school? Um, I'm wondering what advice would you give, uh, someone considering on the fence about whether or not they should go to school for theater, performing arts, acting, writing, et cetera. Well, it's funny. Um, Part of the reason, so the the National uh, Winter Actors Retreat was started with that question in mind. Um, but I think one of the biggest things that you need to consider when you when you're taking the path of an artist is what is your self generated context for what is good and what is not. Because as an artist in general, there are a lot of subjective ways in which people critique and judge your work. So if you're an actor, you're going to have a classmate, a teacher, uh, a casting director, and they're going to be telling you basically yes or no, yes or no. Mm-hmm. And you can get really off your center line if, that's, if you're always at the whim of those opinions. 
But if you can find uh, some something that you uh, a growth model that you generate yourself, then if you fail, if you succeed, you at least have that thing to return to. Um, and I think if you you have to decide for yourself, you have to just say, "I'm going to do this," and then whatever follows will follow. So if you're going to be an actor, you say, "I'm going to be an actor." Um, and if you go to grad school, great. That's a part of that journey. If you don't, fine. That's also a part of that journey. But if you say to yourself, if I get into grad school, I'm going to be an actor, then you're a little bit sunk already. It's going to be harder for you. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, I think the biggest thing you can do is you have to make that decision and you have to figure out the reasons why you're making that decision. You know, don't be an actor because you want everybody to love you. You know, you have to be in love with the intricacies and complexities and the, the sort of nasty and amazing things about human nature that you can explore. And that's, that's what I should, I think should drive you to be an actor. Don't do it to be famous. You know what I mean? Don't mm -hmm. do it because you want that thing that you didn't get when you were young or whatever it is that you're looking for. There are a million other ways to get that. Um, honestly, and, um, you don't have to go to school. You can go on Instagram if you want to be famous, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but if you, if you want to explore the human condition and you want to sit as an example of someone who does that, I think that's a good reason to do it, but you got to make that choice for yourself. It's incredibly individual. It's incredibly, and it's, it's very, it's a very personal decision, but I think you have to make those choices and, and ask yourself the hard questions first before you even embark on any of that stuff. And if you're going to go to school, the other thing I'd say is, you know, Start thinking about it. If you're in America, at least think about it in real terms. You know, it's an investment. Um, and you yourself are a bit of a business and you're an entrepreneur. So what are you willing to invest in something that may not have a return or may not have a return for a couple of years? You know, what does that look like for you? And how do you make that happen in real dollars and cents terms? Or how, or how do you give yourself the best leg up? Um, because I think very often we... Uh, you know, we romanticize the idea of being an artist or an actor in this country. Uh, and that's great because it is romantic and it's exciting. But on the other side of that, it sometimes leads to this thing where they're not very much taken seriously because they haven't treated it as something that is serious. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not a job for the faint of heart. Um, and it's not for people who give up easy at all. Um, and all of the things that we um, CEO or entrepreneur are the exact same qualities that make you a good actor. You know, there's a, there's a, a, a both a dignity to that struggle and an ability to be pers uh, perseverant in the face of challenge. So, yeah. yeah it's a really, uh, apt, uh, parallel and, 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 um, I, I can look back to what me and Nick have done with bonsai and, um, the patience we've employed, uh, simply in lieu of saying, well, we got to do something. We got to put out like that. It's never been our our mo um, because we, you know, the, the key question in all things that that you do is 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 this bringing value? Yeah. And and if it doesn't bring value, and you're doing it because you you just feel like you should be doing something, um, we tend to to buck against that that thought pattern. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we actually employ the same thing financially as well. Like if we don't know what's going to happen in the stock market, we actually just hold, even if it means, um, or any, any investment, we just hold, even if it means yeah. you lose money in the short term, uh, because then when you figure it out, you know, 
you know, ebbs and flows, right? So it'll come back and you'll be back in the money. And, but, but if you, if you make moves without insight, um, mm-hmm. that's when you get into a lot of trouble. And if you create, um, products, if you, uh, if you build things that don't have value, then that will end up in a colossal waste of time and it will yeah. come at the expense of your reputation, which you will never be able to. <laughs> so well, it's tricky. Yeah, it's tricky because you're always, as an artist, you're always, you're, you're holding all these different resources in balance. You know, you've got the obvious one, which is money, but then you've also got creative energy. You've got time, you've got attention and focus. And those things are, are just as important when you're creating something. And if you, and if one kind of come, it's like the equalizer comes out of balance a little bit on one side, well, then you, you might have, you might hit a, you know, a, a great year where you've got all these resources money wise, but you're burned out from doing too much on the other side. And that's no good either. So yeah, I think it's when you said hold, it makes me think of like rest, you know, mm-hmm. there are times as an artist where, you know, there's always, I think in our culture too, when, when people are trying to accomplish goals, it's all about the grind. It's all about the work you put in. But part of that is also being restful and taking care of yourself. Um, and that's something that people tend to ignore a lot of times, almost feel guilty about, um, as artists. Yeah. Cause we're in that grind culture. We're in that post what you did today on Instagram sort of culture. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times the best answer is to do nothing or to be patient uh, with your outcomes so that when you do create something of great value, you have the brand and reputation to support, you know, uh, the effort. And, and it makes me think when it comes to, you know, new creatives, new actors, how mm-hmm. difficult it must be to say no to a particular part that's given to you. Do you have any experience in having to say no to something? And was that hard in, in those moments where you said to yourself, Oh man, I can use, I could use the check, but this isn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the specifics of that, there's a lot of things like that, that I would say one thing that's really hard. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a numbers game that people don't necessarily talk about a lot. Um, especially being an actor of color. Um, there's, there's a certain percentage of roles that are available to you, period. Right. Mm, so you, mm-hmm. so you say like, you know, it's about 5%, 6% of roles would go to a guy in my type. Yeah. So you have, um, so actors of, of my type. So younger actors, actors on, uh, who aren't super established, who are just working, you book about, you know, 5%. And you, if you're going on auditions very often, right. So you got 5% of 5%. Um, and then, so that to you, when you, when you're playing with, I feel like I sound like Bernie Sanders, (laughs) 5% 5 of 5%. Um, (laughs) but you got five, so you're 5% of 5%, right? I don't know what the math works out, but then let's say you cut that by a third, you cut that in half because there are certain roles you don't want to do. There are certain stereotypical roles. You say, you know, I'm not going to do this. There are certain roles that are a lot of gangster roles. A lot of those kinds of roles I just won't do. Um, and uh, you're saying no preemptively to what's paying work and what could lead down a certain path, but you do it because you don't want to go down that path. Uh, and that's a that's a thing that I've I've you know that mathematical challenge is something that I have you know had to wrap my head around, really more wrap my heart around to be like, yeah, I'm going to say no to this because it's more important to me to make if I make five things in my lifetime, but all five are edifying, all five lift people up. 
I'd rather do that than make a hundred things and cash the checks for doing something that I feel like furthers a narrative of, you know, the sort of heterogeneous other Latino community that is a little dangerous, a little scary, a little sexy, right? I'd rather do the, the everyman parts that can connect on a human level, even if there are fewer of them. Mm-hmm. So I think saying no, sometimes you have to say no preemptively. Um, and and then that's a really hard thing to do because you don't want to say no to something that could be good or something, you know, I, I've had people talk me into roles that are ex-cons or roles that are criminals because there's a human side to them. But it, it, it's a thing you have to exercise early on because if you're snapping up everything you get, then you, it's again, that same problem of you've got no anchor as an artist. You have no, you know, guiding star. You need that in order to, uh, I think to have a, a career that fulfills you because that's what it's really all about. Yeah. I, I think that's spot on. And, and we've had other people in the cast. We had Brandon Hirsch, uh, who's, who's fantastic. Talk mm-hmm. about uh, having to say no to a really well-paying national commercial just because it was something he personally didn't believe in. And he's, um, and he, he would, he, I think his quote was not all money's good money. So, um, yeah, very true. good, very good feedback there. Um, you've done, you've done a little bit of everything. I mean, you're an entrepreneur, uh, you have been in features, you've been in shorts, you've been in TV series, you've been in web series. Um, you founded things. Um, you've taken all this experience and, and, and pushed that into the, you know, the actor studio of orange County where you have been a teacher for the last three, four years. Mm. Um, what, what are those, maybe those biggest challenges that you've had, the you know, most significant uh, challenges that you remember and experiences that you've taken into your teaching that, that helps you um, have a meaningful and such a meaningful class for everyone uh, who learns under you? Yeah, uh, it's interesting. You know, uh, there's this thing that happens that one of the most fulfilling times, teaching moments I ever had was I realized, you know, that moment where you realize you've gotten past something because you're helping somebody else get through it. Mm -hmm. That was, uh, there was a, there was a young actress, um, who ended up going to NYU actually, uh, and she was Asian American and we were doing this. I gave her this monologue that was from this play called spike heels. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a line in the monologue that she says, uh, I am America. Um, she's talking, she, you know, the girl in the, in the, in, in the cast and the plays it's written, it is a, it's a, it's a white woman who's sort of, you know, Aaron Brockovich type kind of character in this mm-hmm. law office, a little bit looked down upon. And she says to this, this guy, she says, you think you're America, this, you know, sort of wealthy upper class guy. And, and she says, I'm America, me. And, uh, she did it once and I kind of, and it, you know, it, she's a good actress. So I'm like, why does it feel flat? Why does it feel flat? And I asked her, you know, you ever been in a room where, uh, you were different or there was something wrong about you and you couldn't put your finger on it? And I saw this thing change in her and I, and I was like, could you maybe work from that spot? Like work from there, you know? And man, it was one of the most amazing performances I've ever seen in my entire life. And, uh, I just realized when you're a person of color, you have a lot of times this sort of, um, need to feel like you have to please or put on a mask. You have to feel presentable, you, you know, especially as you, you work your way through the Ivy league for me or, or through school, there was this thought that, you know, you get, I think a lot of people get embarrassed about where they come from. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so I kind of, the, the way I started to think about it and, and I, I was helped along this path with, a, by a, a Yale, by a lot of people was like, they would say things like, you know, don't leave part of yourself out in the hallway, you know, 
all of you comes into the room when you're working. All of you is in front of that camera. And I think it's a, it, there's, a, there's a thing called imposter syndrome that a lot of people face, and I understand it very well. It's actually funny. It's a big part of that. that Creed too. he says, you know, I'm the champ. I don't feel like the champ. I know I'm the champ, but I don't feel like it. And I think even after going to Yale, deciding I'm an actor, doing all this work, there's this little thing in you. It's like, ah, somebody's going to find out that I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> Some, they're going to figure it out. Um, and I think that imposter syndrome is the biggest challenge you face overall for almost anyone. But when you, when you face it down with all of you, you know, you know, warts and all, and you bring that to the performance, it's so much more fulfilling. It's also terrifying because it's so much more vulnerable. But I think making that the, the fallback position, making that the way you come to every role is the biggest challenge I have. And I, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm comforted by the fact that I see it shared in a lot of my students. I see it shared with a lot of other actors and it feels like we're, it feels like we have, we all have this big problem that we're working on and we're all, we're, we're all like chipping away at it together, you know? Yeah. So the biggest thing is like, we've got to make sure we're talking to each other while we do that. We've got to make sure we're communicating. So none, no, nobody ever feels like they're alone in that work. Yeah. I, I really identify with that quite a bit. And and I have my, my partner, Nick, and uh, one of my other best friends, um, Nimit, to mm-hmm. to thank for helping me with that at a, at a young age. And some people know this about me. Uh, this this might be f- fresh information, but, you know, I used to go and, and practice my piano and my songwriting at Vanderbilt University, which is like an Ivy League school in the South, essentially. Yeah. And um, Nick went there and so did Nimit. And um and I would go there and, and I would play, but I was there so often, Joshua, that people thought I went to the university. Uh, I actually graduated mm-hmm. from Middle Tennessee State. But mm-hmm. I mean, I was at Vanderbilt all day long. And that's just how yeah. passionate I was about, you know, playing and things like that. So and just two feet in. But people thought I went there. And so I got access to uh, it was weird. I would get access to everything. I could I, I was in the food lines. I was in the dorms. People, <laughs> people, people thought I was a student. Staff thought I was a student. And, um, and I just remember having this incredible sense of imposter syndrome, like, mm-hmm. like I was walking on eggshells because when I would get in the room with some of the students and, and some of Nick's friends and Nimitz friends, uh, I knew intellectually or I felt, I didn't know, actually, that's kind of crazy. That I said that out loud, but I felt <laughs> I, f- cause looking back on it, what it really was, was, a, was insecurity. I felt that I wasn't going to be able to hold my own intellectually in that room with those individuals. Yeah. And so that showed its head in all these weird ways where I would um, just behave in these really strange ways from time to time, or I would let my background come out a little bit too much where it's like, okay, what do I have to offer? Okay. Uh, I'm tough. I'm not going to let, you know, these kids embarrass me or shame yeah. me or, or, you know what I mean? Um, I'm not going to let them, you know, uh, one up me or, or, or stand above me because I'm not as smart as them. Um, mm-hmm. so, so what I have is my physicality. I have my anger. I have, I have, you know, all these things that quite frankly were not necessary at all at Vanderbilt university. Yeah. And that was the thing that, that blew my mind was that, wait a second, where I grew up, what was really important was how good I could catch a ball, dribble a ball, maybe write a rhyme, fight, and, and how many women I could get. <laughs> and at Vanderbilt, none of those things were crucial. None of right. them. None of them were like, it, was, it came down to like, how witty could you be? And how many problems yeah. could you solve? 
And instead of losing patience with me through that process, both of those guys were like, really in their own individual ways, they would they would find ways to pull me aside and build up my confidence and say, mm-hmm. you just, you don't understand. Like you say things that nobody else says, like you, you're smart. Like you, there's something about you. You didn't get the yeah. schooling we got, you know, but, but there's something there. You're a reason. There's a reason why you're here. There's a reason why everybody wants to be around you and tolerates you. Right. But yeah. I didn't know that. Right. So, so I just kind of felt like a tick on a dog waiting, you know, for, for the dog to realize that and scratch me off. Right. Yeah, um, so you, you you fall into this terrible position where you're you're back and forth between all right, I'm either going to make the most of my time here before I fight it, somebody finds out that I'm not supposed to be here, or you go, well, if I'm not supposed to be here anyway, then I'm going to make my mark and I'm going to be you know big and boisterous and none of that's necessary. But it and it ends up it, you know it's a distraction in a lot of ways. But I think it's a it's a it's a sort of hard thing that you have to go through. Because when you interact with those worlds you and you come from a place where people aren't familiar with it, you're learning. It's a culture shock thing. You're learning a different kind of jargon. You're learning a different kind of way to be around people. And in, and in essence, I think that makes you stronger. That makes people who come from nothing, you know, you, you're a little bit of an impossible person because mm-hmm. you've faced impossible odds. Um, but learning how to wear that, not with bitterness, not with over, you know, an over, you know, abundant sense of pride, but with a sort of calm and a sort of understanding of where you come from, where you're going. That's really difficult to do. Um, yeah. And it, and it does, you're right. It takes good friends. It takes mentors. It takes people, you know, it takes to, it, to, what you have to do the first, I think the, the hardest thing to do is you have to really abandon that. I'm going to do this on my own yeah. kind of mentality. Yeah. And it, and, and it was a good thing, um, you know, that, that, you know, Nick is, is black and, and, and Nimitz, um, biracial and that there was that, there was uh, a unity among us for that reason too. Uh, yeah. because tr- strange things frankly can happen, you know, in those situations, I, I actually did mm-hmm. witness something unbelievable, uh, one time, uh, with my friend Tommy, who is, who is Chinese uh, at, at Vanderbilt and one of these kids and apparently he was like a senator's son or something like that. And one of these kids just walks up to, to Tommy, uh, takes the back of his sweater <laughs> and looks at, the t- looks at the tag <laughs> and literally, I promise this happened, Joshua, and said to him, Abercrombie's for peasants <laughs> and, w- and walked off. <laughs> <laughs> And it's funny because I, I was so shocked. I think we were both so shocked we didn't do anything, right? Yeah. It's that moment yeah. where you're like, why didn't we whoop his ass? And and it's like, oh, because something so unusual happened, we were like frozen in the moment. Like, what just happened? Like, let me process this. And then it kind of got, it kind of got funny after that because it was like, because yeah. he was kind of a flamboyant dude too. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it was like the way it came off was really, really funny as well. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, being buttressed by those friends and people with at least something in common that can help you out along the way, it helps in life. Like I mentioned, it helps in acting for sure and, and, and in your own path, yeah. um, which, which leads me down another line of, of sort of teaching, which is, you know, if you had one month to teach someone how to be a competent actor so that they're going for the gig of their life, they have to be ready for this thing but they're starting from scratch. What would be the first three things you would teach them if you had one month? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, well, the first thing is how to stand by yourself. I mean, how to be, be by yourself. I think, you know, we talked about there's this exercise where you stand in the middle of a room by yourself 
and just mm-hmm. you allow yourself to be seen. Um, and something I was introduced to very early on. And it, it, to me is the hardest thing to do because allowing yourself to be seen without you know, everything you do, especially, you know, professional world, whatever you're, you're sort of, you're projecting what you want to be seen, but you're not allowing people to see you. Um, so the first thing you have to do is, is understand sort of the idea of public vulnerability and what that means and what are the, what are the limitations of that? What are, you know, how does, how that affects you? Because it will make your body, your body just wants to run away. You know, you want to hide, you want to do something to make yourself whatever it is you think you aren't enough of. If you're, if you don't think you're handsome enough, handsomer, if you don't think you're thin enough, thinner, you know what I mean? Whatever you think that you're lacking, you're going to try to make up in that moment. You can't. So that's the first thing. And if, and the other thing is like really understanding how to be alone. You know, um, some, a lot of the stuff I, I'll do during the year is find moments to be out in nature, away from things, away from my phone. And, um, I, I think if you can wrap your head around that and sort of learn to tolerate yourself, the rest of it comes easy. The rest of it is actually a lot easier. Um, if you're relying on the things you tell yourself about yourself, you know, the, the story in your head, I, I am this person, my mother did this to me. My father didn't ever do this for me. I didn't, I got this, I didn't get this right. Those kind of back and forth narratives are a lot of what we rely on to define ourselves. But if you don't do that and you just say, you know, in this moment I'm being seen by these people, I can't control what they think. I'm just going to sit here and allow them to do it. Uh, That's the biggest lesson I would say they have to learn. Um, other than that, you know, <laughs> be honest and be honest, start being honest with yourself. You know, the, the worst thing an actor can do is there's two worst things they can do is lie to themselves mm-hmm. and be lazy. And I think one follows the other. If you're honest with yourself, you know, when you're being lazy, cause we all do it from time to time, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's like, ah, I should, and I'm not talking about like going to the gym, all that stuff's easy. Work is easy. I'm talking about intellectually lazy, you know? what do you allow yourself? What patterns do you allow yourself to fall into in your head? How do you judge people in a way that is easier than giving them the benefit of the doubt? Uh, because it's easier on your, it's easier on your psyche. It doesn't give you any cognitive dissonance to do that, right? That's laziness. That's the kind of intellectual laziness. That's real laziness, you know, cause anybody can get the work done. You can put the work in, mm-hmm. but looking at somebody and going, you know, I have no idea what their story is. And being more curious than you are lazy and being honest with yourself about whether you're being curious about someone, honestly, you know, are you, are you seeing them as a real person outside of you? Or if you're just going, ah, you know, I know who that guy is. I get this guy, you know, he's this, this and that, right? right? If you can learn how to do that, you can do anything as an actor because you have to, like I said, you have to fall in love with the human condition and, and what it does to you. And you have to be honest, does it make you angry? Does it infuriate you? Does it make you happy? Does it make you want to cry? Whatever it is. If you're honest about that, I think you can, you can do anything on stage because the technical stuff will come and that's a lifelong learning process. But to really get into the, really into the acting process, you have to get out of that pedestrian mind, that sort of, uh, you know, the Yelp review way of living (laughs) life where you just, you know, ah, her five stars, him two stars, right? That's right. No, no, no. 
It's not how, you know, that, that's a very technical algorithmic way you look at things. And that's interesting in terms of, you know, assessing data and figuring out where you stand. But when it comes to the, the stuff that's harder to do, that's, that's the biggest lesson I think you have to learn as an actor, you know, being honest with yourself, being by yourself <laughs> and then, you know, being curious, being curious. Yeah. And there's a business principle that Nick and I like to use in our consultations um, that that works really well. And it's, it's, it's based on the, the restaurant and hotel industry and mm. the star system. And so if you take a tape of yourself uh, doing a performance and and then give it a rank and, you know, most actors are going to be self-deprecating, especially in, in mixed company. Or mm-hmm. if, if a director looks at the performance he did or, or, or a cinematographer or a writer is reviewing their writing over a screenplay, they're going to be self-deprecating. Maybe they'll give themselves three stars, right? Yeah. Then you say, okay, so three stars, that's fine. What would a four-star experience be like for the audience? Mm-hmm. And then you just sit mm-hmm. and wait and that person will have to answer what one level up would look like. And then you say, okay, well, what would a five-star experience look like for the audience right. in this, in this context? What would you have had to have done? What, what would you have had to done in wardrobe? What, what would have had to happen in your performance? What would have had to happen with your accent? All right. And mm-hmm. you just keep going until they can't answer anymore, even up to like 10 star, 11 star, 12 star, how like, yeah. and then you keep iterating. And then by the end of it, you realize, oh shit. Okay. So that's what it takes to be, you know, as you said, intellectually honest with the performance and not yeah. be lazy. And then the next performance, the next uh, writing treatment, the next um, uh, thing you shoot, you're gonna you're gonna form those habits of 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 excellence. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it too, because you that's that's one of the best things to do when you have that dual focus of how is something being received by an audience, how am I working on it as an artist. In the pure like training standpoint, we I, I do this thing where I just I say you know when you're an actor watching other actors, and I think this is what every actor should do, no matter who they're watching. Um, you you just ask yourself two questions: Do I feel it, and do I understand it? Right? Because mm-hmm. you can you can understand something, but you don't feel it. You right. see an actor, and they they have they're hitting all the marks. You get it, right? A lot of Shakespeare's like this. You see, they 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 have the training, but you don't feel it. Mm-hmm. You don't feel what they're bringing. The, on the opposite could be true. You could not understand something at all. You know, dance is very much like this, but you feel it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think those perfect moments are when you get both. Yes. You feel it. You understand it. Um, mm-hmm. You're just like, that's where you're blown away. You're like that. That's, that's to me what I'm like, that's why I want to be an actor. That's what makes me, that reminds me of why I, I like to do this. Yeah. And that's honestly the pushback with um, contemporary hip hop as well, or, or what we call maybe emo rap or mumble rap, which is yeah. we feel it, but we're not sure we understand it because I can't, yeah. I can't yeah. kind of make out what you're talking about mm-hmm. um, all the time. And, and the ones that do it the very, very best uh, are the best um, and end up having the best results because they get that, that, that two pronged approach of being understood and uh being felt so um, yeah no i always feel like an old man when i because i'm like i there's a virtuosity that that was brought to the table by the rap that i came up with mm-hmm. that isn't there in like trap music as much and and it sometimes it feels very um almost like a, th- a throwaway it feels a little disposable some of it you know that they've kind of went with their first draft 
Yeah. And you, there's a lot of emotion behind it, but the, the clarity and the vocabulary isn't there. And there's, there's something I miss about that poetry in motion. And you still get that with some people, you know, Chance the Rapper, he represents, he does, he does something that I think is really unique and new, but in terms of like the contemporary popular stuff, you don't get it as much, which is, you know, sometimes a bummer, even though I enjoy a lot of it, it's just sometimes not, it's not the kind of thing that I would call like a classic song, you know? Exactly. Like I, it's just, it's I just beats. Biggie now. Yeah. 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 But a lot of that stuff is like if it's on the radio for an hour straight, I might not be able to tell you who I just listened to. So, so and, yeah, and, yeah. And hip hop's not the only one guilty of it. I I was listening to uh, I think XM in the car, I think two mm-hmm. days ago, and we're full into holiday music, by the way. And so I hear this Fallout Boy song, and it's like <laughs> a Christmas breakup song, and I'm like, and the and the lyrics are really mean and really aggressive, and I'm like. What a miss. Yeah. Like, what a miss. Like, no one wants to hear this right now. Like, no one, like, it wasn't even done cleverly. It's very ham fisted. It's yeah. like, it's like, uh, I, you know, I grew up on a different type of rock where I could understand and feel. I still go back to like, just go back and listen to um, uh, Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. and, and listen to how good of a song it is. Like, mm-hmm. ri- writing, the key changes on the bridge, um, the the vocals, the instrumentation, like that is called understanding and feeling. Like it yeah. was that like, and that's you know, not to sound like again, I don't want to sound like uh, get off my get off my lawn, <laughs> but but it just yeah. it just was it just was it just was different. I'm just I'm just here to say yeah. it was just it was just different. But um, you, and one of the things I love about you, and I hope everyone will as well because it's it's worthy of it is you're so much more than just being an actor uh you founded the uh, invictus vitae did i pronounce that correctly yeah for so i actually that that turned into that started as just a personal training website Mm -hmm. and uh it what it has turned into and what 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 i'm hoping it will become and i sort of in the beginning stages of it um, is something that's more of a body positive all around health website. And I'm hoping that eventually it'll be, uh, a led a, more of a female led thing. Um, mm-hmm. so that there is, you know, it's more of empowerment, empowerment site. I, you know, one thing I've always wanted to do, I, and here's the thing though, I, I feel like I shouldn't take credit for being an entrepreneur or founder of anything. I didn't have a choice. You know, you, you come from a place where you don't have a lot and you don't grow up with a ton. And you also come into a place where there's not a lot of people like you doing what you do. And you say, okay, I have to be a person who's leading in my field. I have to be a person who's multi multidisciplinary because if I'm not, there's going to be a lot of people telling me where to go. And that not, that, that might be a really sort of middle of the road career path. Mm-hmm. Um, so like when I, like when I started Wolf and Long as a cocktail company, my thought was, you know, I enjoy this. Let me elevate it. Let me combine artistry. Let me combine the things I like to do with uh, this thing that is in a lot of ways sort of quotidian and pedestrian and and elevate it a little bit. Make it into something that is both approachable by the layman, but anyone can really enjoy and learn something from. Because to me, like cocktails, they teach me a lot about acting. It's a lot like Shakespeare. You take all this old stuff that's been around before since before you were born. And you put it together and you make something that only you could create with it, you know? Yeah. And, and all your, all of your entrepreneurial uh, endeavors are, are, are 
they have a, a common thread th- through them that I really enjoy, which is which is taking the focus sort of off of you and, and on to to others. And we'll definitely get into Wolf and Long uh, here in a moment for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. The thing that jumped out to me about Invictus was was th- this idea of minimizing food waste and 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 providing food co-ops for for you know underprivileged children. And because that's actually a really big deal. And it's interesting. Most people don't know that kind of what gets in the way of that is FDA regulation and different types of regulation. My sister is an executive at Kroger Corporation, Mm -hmm. and she tells me that they waste about 40 percent of their food, if I'm not mistaken. Um, That's enormous. That food cannot legally be given out um, to people who need it. Uh, because there's a law and a regulation. So, so if there's organizations like yours that would say, let's change that, let's alter that. What's the middle ground with this regulation so that there isn't so much wastefulness? And honestly, the, the need to produce food on a mass level is what creates all the um, um, foods that, yeah. that, that end up being recalled and, and, and food that, that, that is making people sick. Uh, less waste is good for everybody. And then, and then you started the, the um, you're doing the, the national winter artist retreat. Mm-hmm. I was on this website, Joshua, this looks amazing. Um, yeah. this is pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Is this kind of like Burning Man for actors? What, what is, talk, talk to everybody about what this is and why you started it and, and how people can go, because it, I think it's incredible. Yeah. So, um, about, Two, uh, two years ago, I was sort of in a place in my career where I, I was starting to feel a little bit lost. I was starting to feel a little bit like I was not, I was not maybe moving forward as fast as I thought I would. And um, uh, my wife, who was a, she's a screenwriter, um, but she has written plays before. She was a playwright before we, um, before we even met. Um, she sent a play off to this this retreat that was called the National Winter Playwrights Retreat. You know, we didn't think anything of it. We just thought, okay, it's a competition. It's something that's kind of interesting. Um, it's in this weird little town, you know, up in the mountains, whatever. So anyway, as time went by, they, they accepted her application. They asked if she knew any actors that might be willing to come and read some other works and workshop some other plays and do some, some other stuff with them. And she said, well, yeah, I do know one. <laughs> um, and so I came with her and we just fell in love with this little town, this town, Creed, Colorado, um, it's, it's 9,000 feet up. It's gorgeous, even in the wintertime. It was a, mi- a mining town that, after the mines sort of closed down, they converted into a town whose tourism is very much based on artistry. There are artists and jewel makers, um, uh, uh, jewelry makers, um, uh, uh, people who are incredible cooks and chefs that are expats from the coasts. Um, there's an, uh, there's a, a repertory theater there that's been going since, I think, the 40s. Um, that brings people in. So their population booms from 300 in the wintertime to about 10,000 in the summer. Um, but during the winter, and this is something the founder, uh, Manuel Zarate, wanted to do, he wanted to bring people in. Uh, um, so he, he wanted to bring, the more people that he brought in from the outside during the winter, the better it was for the town. The better it was for the playwrights because they were in an environment where they were free from distraction free from, you know, the kind of thing that you get in the city a lot and they could just focus on their work. So it became this win-win situation for everybody. And when we met that idea of the artist entrepreneur and that idea of helping community and building community was something that we were both so passionate about. We knew we wanted to work together more in the future. So the seed of the actor's retreat was planted then. 
Um, and our main thing was like, we don't want another acting training program, you know, because a lot of what you see with the, the training of actors in our country and a lot of what I've noticed is you have the Ivies and you have these tremendously, uh, sort of high profile programs, um, which are amazing, but they're a little removed from the actual working actor struggle in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And then you have sort of private school system that where these schools can pop up anywhere and that's great, except I think what it introduces sometimes in sort of the pedagogical methods is uh, a standard that's being held by someone outside of the artist themselves. And because of that, it feels arbitrary and prone towards this sort of goalpost moving. Um, you know, you may have done this well, but you didn't do this, you know. And it, but it's not about the artist developing. It's about having something to critique so that they keep paying you. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> like this. This entrepreneurial predation, you know, I can, yeah. I can, I've, I've had eight, nine guest stars. So I'm the authority versus you who just started your career. Right. So pay me this much money and I'll kind of tell you what you need to do. The fact of the matter is, you know, work comes when it comes as an actor, what you really need to learn is how to do work that you feel is fulfilling, no matter what it is you're doing. So the, the actors retreat started this idea of how do not, how do we train actors, but how do we train actors to receive training, right? Mm -hmm. How do we give them a context and a mindset? So when they go into an MFA program or when they move away from their families and they move to Los Angeles and they're by themselves, how do we give them a mindset where they're, they're the leader of their career? And right. they really are coming into it strong, knowing what they want to do, knowing what their goals are, knowing how to evaluate what's been given to them or what's being offered to them, um, both in terms of training and in terms of work. So that's the, that was the, the, the idea behind the, the retreat. So what we do is we, we do conservatory style training with people like Faye Simpson, who created the lucid body technique. Um, she's head of movement at Tisch. And she's going to come do an intensive, but we're giving them this incredible conservatory training, the same training I got at Yale, um, in a context of a self-generated training model. What works for me? How do I, how do I create my own goals and how am I honest with myself about whether or not I've, I've met those goals or not? And how do I assess once I, once I, when I fail, what do I do next? Um, so that was the idea behind the, uh, the actor's retreat. And you do it in, in Creed, which is gorgeous and yeah. very low. So it really but, is. And, and yeah. share, we're going to do it at the end of this conversation as well. But um, what uh, what is the website people can go to to learn more about that? Yeah. So the official. Uh, here we go. Uh, so it's the American slash actors retreat. It's actors dash retreat. Actors dash retreat. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll link to that, um, uh, in the show notes and we will also, um, circle back on that at the end of the conversation, but cool, I yeah, do want to, yeah, it, it's going to be great. And I, I do want to talk about Wolf and Long. This is so interesting. I saw that, um, uh, you have, I guess, is it, is it, a, would you call it like a web series, uh, get vocal, um, yeah. Um, and, yeah, and, it's like a live stream conversation. Yeah. 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 It's really interesting. Essentially it's, it's you behind the bar, I mm -hmm. think making cocktails. And then, uh, one episode that 
uh, that I saw was uh, one about uh, sometimes a girl is just reading when she's at the bar. Uh, <laughs> like, like not yeah. a good time to, it's not always a good time to flirt or, or hit on her. Uh, talk yeah, to me about, yeah. about, about Wolf and Long, how that got started. What is it? And, and how the web series got started. It's a really interesting concept. Well, it's funny the the, 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 seed behind that was talking to a lot of people. Cause I, you know, I bartended through school. I bartended when I was young, I bartended, I, I kind of put myself through school doing that. And so it became, it started as, you know, this sort of side thing that I really started to fall in love with. Um, the thing is, I think we, we have lost, I think in our society a lot and not to be too lofty about it, but we, this sense of sort of the common a common decency in terms of what do I owe you? You know, a stranger at a bar, a stranger in in a public space. What is the decent thing that I owe you to do in this moment, right? As opposed to just to focus on me. What do I want? What do I need right now? Um, and we're and and there's this concept of a third space. You know, it's a place that's not your it's not your home and it's not your work. It's where you spend a good amount of time. And I thought, you know. We, that was the church for a lot of people. Um, that was different things in the community as, as time went on. But one thing that I feel like we can all share and one that's really common is a bar. You go, you have a cocktail. It's, it's extremely, um, egalitarian in a lot of ways. Cause you and I might, you know, you might come in and you might be a millionaire, right? And I might have 800 bucks in my bank account, but if we both want to taste a, a, a really good scotch, it's going to cost me a little bit more, but we can both have the same thing in that moment. You know, we can both have a sip of that, that thing in that moment and it's equalizing in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, so that space in a way is precious because there's not a lot like that, which means that you got to take care of it. It means that you have to come with a certain level of decorum and you have to be able to, you know, have a bit of etiquette when you're in that space. And what I saw was there was really nobody, unless your parents teach it to you, who's going to tell you, you know? So unfortunately I saw, you know, in my time as a bartender and my time working on these kinds of things and, and talking to people, saw a lot of bad behavior, especially when people have a few drinks or whatever it is. And I just thought, you know, what if I actually talk to people, not when, you know, when they're sober, what if they actually learn, you know, how do you behave? What do you do? You know, what's, what's the right way to go about certain things? Cause people don't know. And mm -hmm. so they take their best guess. And sometimes that's not the best way to go about it. And we thought, well, how do we make it fun? Well, we'll talk about alcohol. We'll talk about booze, which is just fun. And then we'll talk about, we'll tell funny stories about being behind the bar and when people misbehave. And then we'll talk about, hey, maybe, uh, maybe don't snap at your bartender. Maybe don't, you know, snap your fingers and wave wildly in there. Just be cool. There's a way to do it. You know, there's a way to go about things. And um, so it just became kind of a fun, casual conversation. It ha the idea kind of sprung up around the same time that Get Vocal was looking for hosts for the new live streaming platform. So it was a real um, uh, sort of fortuitous thing that we connected at that moment. Um, but it's a really fun. Uh, it's a really fun little live streaming show. Yeah. And where can people find it? That one is on, uh, it's just on getvocal.com. It's usually Sundays, though when I'm traveling, it's a little few and far between. We're planning something to end the year that's going to be a lot of fun. So, um, but you can see, if you just watch my Twitter or the Wolf and Long Twitter, you'll see when we post. Uh, we'll post in advance when the episodes are popping up. Yeah, I think you have uh, Wolf, so W-O-L-F and Long, mm -hmm. so A-N-D-L-O ng.com and then get vocal mm -hmm. spelled a little bit different it's g-e-t-v-o-k-l k-l v-o-k-l yeah, yeah. it's a little it's a little 
one of those like techie things. I think you always got to misspell stuff. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, 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 I was like, I had to double take it. It's like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> uh, Joshua, you've been incredibly, uh, incredibly generous with your time, and uh, to do this while you're traveling means a ton to me. Uh, you, uh, you, you, my pleasure. Just a few more questions. We'll wrap up here. Uh, and, sure. And, and yeah. Comments. Uh, I'm, I'm now curious, uh, digging in on what you just said. Give me your favorite cocktail. Uh, of all time, not the one you like to make, but the one uh-huh. from a flavor uh, standpoint. And then, um, can you give our listeners your top one, two, or three uh, bourbon recommendations? Yeah, of course. So my favorite cocktail right now is something called a tea punch, which is this. There's this stuff called rum agricole. It comes from Martinique. It's really funky. Um, it's a. It's technically a rum, but it's made from sugarcane. And if you ever have sugarcane just by itself, it's grassy, it's kind of weird. And so that comes through in this rum. There's no molasses in it. And then a tea punch is interesting because it's, it's lime, sugar, and a little bit of soda. And if you make it wrong, it just tastes like Sprite. Right. But if you make it right, it's, it's this amazing cocktail and it's got so few ingredients. It's just so much fun. Um, and so that's my favorite cocktail. You can't get it everywhere, but where you can get it is really phenomenal. It, and, and you can get it made well. It's something you should definitely try. Um, top bourbons, I would definitely say Mulholland whiskey, which is not technically a bourbon cause it's not from bourbon County, mm-hmm. but it's a very, very good American whiskey. Um, that's one of my favorites. Um, I love, uh, Booker's, which comes from the Jim Beam distillery and they still use the culture to start that, that they did before the civil war. Um, and then if you're just, and this is my favorite, my favorite cheap bourbon. So I'll round it off with that is, uh, either is the James Pepper 1776 or Evan Williams. That's good when you're just like, Hey, you know what? Don't have a lot of money, but would like to celebrate by one of those. You know what I mean? And you can just put it over ice, totally sippable. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that's not a bad one at all. That is, um, incredible. The, the, the latest, a great whiskey find, and again, it's not a bourbon, but it, it is, uh, rare. I can barely find it, at least where I'm at. Um, it's French. It's called Brene. So B-R-E-N-N-E. Yeah. It has the, it's so smooth. It has the best mouthfeel. And uh, it's a really simple bottle. It's just a blue label. They don't do a lot of marketing, which you see a lot on bourbons today. Um, mm-hmm. It's literally just, I think, their name in, in Helvetica. And with, 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 with a light blue tag and it's just, yeah. it's the best stuff. Uh, again, one of those you can just pour over ice and enjoy, uh, for sure. So Josh, uh, tell us, tell everybody where they can find you on uh, social media and on the internet where we can see your work. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see me, um, my personal Twitter is, uh, at St. Genesius. Um, and, uh, you'll see updates on that from time to time. Um, will you spell Genesius? Yeah. Uh, G E N E. S I U S, um, who is the patron saint of actors and prostitutes. So that's why I picked that name. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, at Wolf and Long is my cocktail company. So you'll see updates on that. And that's the same on Instagram is at Wolf and Long. Um, on Instagram, you can see pictures of me at the incomparable Josh, which is spelt exactly like it sounds. So that's just where I put goofy stuff and fun stuff. Um, and feel free to anybody, you know, wants to contact me or wants to, Connect it with the cocktail company. You could do it via the website, uh, Um, The National Winter Actors Retreat is going to be at the American Playbook.com uh, slash actors dash retreat. 
backslash. Um, and that is starting that we, we're accepting applications now for that. Um, I'll be working with Faye Simpson, um, Amber Friendly, Kate Neff, and, uh, also we're going to hire a financial advisor and we just got a photographer on to be sort of the official photographer. And that means that anyone who applies to the program, any actor that comes to work with us is going to, is going to leave with a new set of headshots just included in the price of the program and housing and everything like that. Um, that's part of the HBMG foundation. You could see that on Twitter at NWAR HBMG. So that's, I know that's, that's a lot of stuff, but we'll have to, we'll have to post all that stuff up someplace so people can follow it. We'll, we'll do it. And, uh, I would love to talk to you guys in the future about having me and Nick come out and do an executive producer workshop. Um, oh, just to yeah, talk about amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about independent film, independent film financing, uh, mm-hmm. do's and do nots and, and things like that. Um, You've got the Nightingale coming up, which is which is a short. And you just yeah. finished the short Elijah, and you are writing a novel called uh, The Barman. And the Barman um, is actually yeah, it's going to be a graphic novel. So you'll get to see some of the uh, the art that I started when I was a little kid come to fruition. So it's going to be fun. So um, much to look out for uh, on the horizon with you. Um, you're, you're, you're a real uh, multi-hyphenate and uh, I will be, and I hope all the uh, people listening to the audience will as well uh, be following your path, following your work and supporting you. Uh, do you have any parting thoughts for the audience before we wrap? Well, I want to say thank you so much for having me on because this is just so much fun. It's always fun to talk to you. But um, yeah, you know what? I think uh, I'll, I'm going to steal a parting thought from somebody who said, don't be afraid to reach out to me. Don't try to do things by yourself. Don't be afraid to reach out. So if anybody's listening and they have a question about acting or cocktails or anything, and they're like, oh, he's not going to want to be bothered. Call me, text me, email me, get in touch with me on Twitter. I'd love to chat with you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Joshua, it's been a blast. I will talk to you soon. Uh, Stay warm in Philadelphia. Right on. All right. Talk soon. All right. Tell Amanda I said hello. Will do. She says hello too, by the way. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Talk soon, guys. Take care. Bye. Be good. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects, social media, and transcripts of this interview, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash podcast. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.